Hey, this is um, this is really cool. What's going on? Um, had a chance this morning to uh, talk with our other uh, congregation downtown this morning, and um, it's just really a delight to spend time with them and to be with them. And um, we're really excited about what God's doing in this city. And we're excited about what God's doing with us. And uh, it's really interesting, isn't it, as we talk about what, we're, what we've been talking about when we talk about the, the journey. We're talk, trying to talk about three journeys. You know, our journey into the gospel, our journey into community, and in our journey into service. Uh, you need to be praying about what God's convicting you of and what God's, you know, talking to you about in this. And really considering that, because a lot of the things that we have to talk about are there's there's some fairly heavy issues. This morning, as we as when you talk about community, you need to know that this is a powder keg issue. <laughs> this is a powder keg issue because there's so many of us that have so many different different definitions of what community really is, right? And there's so many of us that are sitting here today that have said, "Hey, man, why do we have to talk about that? Because I've already tried this small group thing." It doesn't work. You know, you know what? J- just to make sure you know something, usually when we all get together, it doesn't work. The only thing that makes it work is the Lord we serve. It's you know you know what I'm saying. It's really it's really important for you to know that. Somebody once said the community is like an onion. It stinks and it makes you cry. Makes you cry. I think there's a lot of truth in that. So as we talk about this today, one of the things I would really encourage you to do is I would encourage encourage you to at least open up your hands to the truth of what God could be saying in this. To maybe lay aside some of the preconceived notions that you've had about community and to be able to say, hey, Lord, what are you wanting to say with me on this? We're going to talk today about two quick points. And the first point is this point of this as we talk about community. When you look at the scriptures, you see that in the scriptures, you see a real, a word, a real plural understanding of community. It's a people. It's about a community. It's about a, a group of beautiful, phenomenal individuals that God's gifted, but he's calling them in to be a people, a tribe, a village, as in Hillary's words. It takes a village. Thank you, Ms. Secretary of State. It does take a village. It does take a community. And it's a very biblical term. When you go all the way back to the Old Testament, we talked about that, how it starts out with Adam and Eve. Then God says, through Abraham's seed, I'm going to have, I'm going to call a people into myself. And then we see the unbelievable, vivid picture of a group of people who came together, the tribe, the village, and the children of Israel saved from Egypt through Moses the mediator. And they walk through this unbelievable journey of what it really means to get to the promised land. And you know what? It's a lot like how we live right now. It's, it's really a lot like that. We can blame them. We can look at them and say, man, how come they didn't have it all together? Come on, they had a fire and a cloud. Good grief. The Lord gave them manna. Right? But the fact of the matter is, is that God is calling us. We do get this picture of community. 
So the first thing we get is we get this more of this group understanding, more of this village, more of this tribe, more of this all of us together versus we get an individual picture in the scriptures. And that's important to know because we're living in such a world that says it's about you. It's called rugged individualism. It's about us and it's about what we want, what we want, how we want to decide if we're going to become successful or whatever the case may be. But when you look at the scriptures, you see that God has decided that the life journey that we're talking about here is supposed to be a group expedition. We walk together, we struggle together, we hurt together, we laugh together. And yet so many of us in this room really probably haven't experienced the inner depths of what it would really look like to be with some people that maybe could finally love us and accept us and bring the gospel to us. So the first point is very quick, but it's an important point because it's important for us to get in tune with what the scriptures have to say to us versus what we understand life's supposed to be. We want to say, God, how do we understand it through the lens of scripture? And we see this concept group versus individual. The second thing that we look at here today is we look at what does it mean to be journey focused versus solution focused. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Journey focused versus solution focused. See if you can follow this. We have come to a very dangerous place in our Christian lives. The church has sometimes created in many ways what we would call a sanctified solutions culture. We've been taught principles, points, formulas, solutions and answers. This kind of teaching has produced a more or less self-righteous people who know the right answers for everyone else but themselves. In other words, sanctification and our, our, our knowledge in Christ Beyond justification, just our walk with Christ, sanctification is not a process. It's about knowing the right answers. And if you know the right answers, then you're all going to, then everything's going to be great in some way. And what this has done, follow that, what this has done is it's created an evangelical culture of people, and many of us are here in this, who don't listen to each other, but they lecture each other. We've lost the complete power, the ability to truly listen to each other's hearts. Because it's about the right answer. How many times have you been in a Bible study with your friends? Right? And nobody's, nobody wants to raise their hand because everybody's afraid they'll give the wrong answer. So our Christianity has almost become about right or wrong answer. We don't listen, but we lecture. We don't, maybe we don't pray as much with our friends, but we like to preach. If I could pick on the men, the men like to fix it. Don't we? There's not a solution that's going to come my way in this next week that I can't fix. I've got a possum underneath my deck right now at home, at my house. I know that was a weird transition. I've got a possum underneath. And the girls are, my girls, I mean, Daddy, the possum, the possums, hmm, possum. <laughs> and, my, and I take the posture. That possum, that's such an invasion of my freedom. That possum going underneath my deck, I'm going to kill 
I'll fix it. I'm going to kill that possum. I'm thinking of weapons I can get. I'm, you know, you know how, how do I do this without the neighbors knowing? Will a pellet gun work? No, it won't be powerful enough. You know, that's how we are. And a lot of times that's how we approach spiritual life, our spiritual lives, if I were to stay with men. But we do it all together. Typically, when you sit down with your friend or when you're talking with them about life and they share a problem, the first thing that many of us, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth point is, well, I, I, I can fix this. By the way, you need to know there's sometimes no greater frustration than when I come to another friend and share my heart and just my hurt and they say, well, let me just, I got something for you. I got something for you too, bud. Right? Isn't that how we think? Friend comes to another friend, says, hey, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my girlfriend. Her and I don't know how to, we don't seem to have any discipline as, in, as we're dating in our physical relationship. We, 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 we fail and we have success and it's just all over the place. That's real. And the friend looks at him and he goes, so... Amen. Here, here's what you need. No temptation has overcome you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can handle. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Got it? Do you see what I just did? Do you see what I just did? Come on. It's almost like a doctor giving a pill. Come. It's like it's like and so, and so we've have we actually created a culture where we have like this glib thing of dealing with each other's hearts. Somebody says something, we just throw out scripture pills. <laughs> Little pea shooter. <laughs> Take that, come back and talk to me tomorrow. We don't maybe think, hey God, what, what's going on here? I need to pray for my brother. He or she is hurting. What does that look like for me to enter into their hurt and pain and, and be with them and minister your gospel to them? What does that mean, Lord? Maybe, maybe it means that, maybe it means that we just, we have to just completely shut our mouths sometimes when we're with, with our friends. And maybe while we're shutting our mouth and we're listening to them, maybe what that means is we're praying while we're shutting our mouth. Lord, do you have anything for me right now? How do I let my brother or sister know in the middle of their hurt that they're loved and cared for and they're precious to me? Because I know they're precious to you. So the point is, is that, is, is, is that the, the idea here is that we've got to be really careful because many of us have kind of grown up in this thing and we have a kind of a twisted understanding of the right answers. I've talked to you before about my, my grandfather. If you've seen the movie Grand Torino, that's my grandfather, Clint Eastwood character. And I remember being a little boy on the lake, like 10 years old, and my grandfather looking at me and he goes, today we're going to learn how to, how to bait the hook. So he grabbed these worms, you know. Every guy loves that. <laughs> worms. And he had a way to do it. The hook, if the hook went like this, right? A little barb on the hook. He'd take the, the worm longwise and put it up around like that. And then, and then do two or three twists. So I'm sitting over there going, and, I, and he's in the boat, and he's looking at me. I'm going, <laughs> I want to make sure it gets on the right hand. I'm trying to loop the worm. I'm trying to be a good worm looper. Good, you know what I'm saying? And I look over at him, and he's looking at me like with to- 
total contempt. He's going, I go, Grandpa, I can't get it. I taught you that, you know, it was horrible. And that, you know what? That's a perfect picture of how many of us have grown up in the church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. i got to read my Bible. Get it on, Hawk. Get it on. Get it on. i got to pray. Right? i got to go to church. Right? Okay, it's all good now. Cast the rod. Right? Isn't that true? So we've lost, it's kind of like we've lost all ability to be able to say, wait a minute, Lord, how do you work and function? By the way, do you know how Jesus treated the people who had all the right answers? Look in the Gospels. They're called the Pharisees. And they made them sick. He really got upset with them. Now, don't take this wrong. You're talking to the wrong guy if you walk out here going, well, he doesn't believe in absolutes. Well, of course I believe in absolutes. I'm just saying that there's, there may be a totally different way that we need to be thinking about life and how we're relating to each other versus just coming out of the whole solutions thing. In Exodus, I read this to you last week. This, these, the children of Israel are really interesting, aren't they? I love them because, like I said, they're a lot like us. Listen to what, I'm actually in uh, Exodus 19 if you want to go there. Exodus 19, starting at at verse 3. Before I, before I, as you're reading, as you're trying to find that, let me just tell you something. When you look at the scriptures, what I want you to try to recognize and what I'm trying to recognize is that there's a lot more journey focused than solution focused going on. We see a covenant God who is interested in leading his wayward children on a journey of trust. That's what we see. Let me say that again. We see a covenant God who is interested in leading his wayward children on a journey of trust. And the focus of that journey is the leader, the captain of the expedition, God himself, to become Jesus later on in Scripture. So Exodus 19, and we read this last week, but I wanted to hit with you again. It says this, Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, what you are to tell the people. The Lord's stepping into Moses' life and telling him what he wants him to do. Look what he he tells him. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession Although the earth, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what we see here in verse 4 is we see, first of all, we answer the question, God says, what I did. God, we see God as the first mover. And God wants us as his children to recognize him as to what he did. Do me a favor this next week. Ask yourself that question when you're in the pain of life this next week or whatever. Lord, what did, what have you done? Well, hopefully you'll come up with some pretty awesome answers. I've died for you. I've come to give new life for you. But that's what, when, when I, I love what God, what he's saying there, when he says, tell him what I did. And that's where our theology always starts, doesn't it? God, what have you done and how do I respond to it? Not what I've done and how can you respond to me? 
Two totally different pictures, by the way. Then the second thing. What exactly did God do? Well, look there. First of all, before I, before, it's really important for you for us to understand this. He delivered them from the bondage of Egyptian oppression. And then look what he says. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. When you see the movement of God, you see him, this movement of bringing these people, this village, this tribe to himself. You see them wandering in the desert, yet he carries them even on eagles' wings in and through the desert. Why? So that he can make them his own and they can become his treasured possession. And that's what we are. We are God's treasured possession. All of us in Christ are God's treasured possession. And he wants to do something with his treasured possession. Do you have any treasured possessions in your house? I have a few. I have intentions for those possessions. Do you follow what I'm saying? God has intentions on us as his people to be the church to a dying world. He has intentions on us as his possession. Let me give you a real quick thing about the eagle's wings there. This was a really beautiful quote in a commentary I read, and I have to give it to you. It's just It just really got me. Hi, the eagle's wings comment, where God says, I carried you on eagle's wings, is a high expression of the wonderful tenderness God had shown them. It denotes great speed. God came on the wing for their deliverance. He did it with the strength and the swiftness of an eagle. If Egypt was the nest that the nation of Israel was hatched and first formed, then they were carried out of that nest by God. Other birds carry their young and their talons, but the eagle on her wings so that even those archers who shoot flying targets cannot hurt the young ones unless they shoot the protecting eagle. Isn't that beautiful? And this is exactly what Christ did in the cross for us. He delivered us from the bondage of sin. He carried and continues to carry us on the eagle's wings of his resurrection power through the crazy wilderness of life for the purposes of bringing us to himself and to make us a treasured possession. That's what Christ has done. By the way, it's a complete setup. It's unbelievable, like total direct, directoral respon- uh, uh, um, license that the Lord took. It was a setup to these, all these people acting like they were all, you know, they're lost. God knew it all. God, God just, he, he had it all in mind because they, all he was doing was setting up how I'm going to deliver you. The only hope you have is me. Which, by the way, I think a lot of times he uses our pain in this in modern day like that. He uses our pain like that so that we can finally come to him and say, Lord, you are my eagle. I carry me on eagle's wings out of this valley. Right? So what are we talking about when we're talking about being journey focused versus solution focused? I'll, I'll finish off a few things, see if you can, if, if they help you. These, these are really, really for me, probably more than for you. What we are saying is that, God, I am locking arms with with my fellow wanderers. And we together trust in your sovereign ability to guide and lead us through the mountains and valleys of life. 
We are saying that right now as we lock arms, the fourth person down has maybe lost their job. They're in a valley. God, you know all about valleys. Did you hear what I just said? God, you know all about valleys. You are in control and you're up to something even in the valley. You see, that's our problem, isn't it? We've been so encouraged by a solution-based culture that when life gets tough, we think more about solving problems than finding and trusting God in the midst of the problem. And as a result, we end up focusing more on using God to improve our lives than on worshiping Him in every circumstance. Let me make sure you, you hear this from me a lot, but I want to say it again. Contrary to popular theology, struggle, suffering, and pain are perfectly normal aspects of trusting Jesus on the journey. They do not simply represent problems to be solved, but are opportunities for spiritual companionship with our Lord and our friends. Really, if you want to go deep, really the way in which many of us are truly going to experience the depths of Jesus is when we experience our pain with each other. Do you know that? I hate to tell you that. But it's going to be true. It's one of the beautiful reasons why God has created His treasured possession in the community is so that we can finally have a group of people that are safe enough to listen to our hurts and to not judge and condemn us, but to bring the everlasting power of the cross to that hurt. Hmm. Opportunities for spiritual companionship. I want to minister to you a little bit for those of you that are feeling like you're in the valley. First of all, let me ask you a question. Do you believe the gospel in the valley? Is God your hope? Is Jesus your everything and your strength? Don't make a barter with Him in the valley. Be in the valley and pray and seek Him. And don't be surprised if he doesn't give you an answer by 5 o'clock. The other thing I want to ask you is that, do are you in community with people? Do people know you? One of the reasons why we're talking about this is because we actually have a vision, and the vision is for all of us here that are involved to, to get involved in, commu- in, in the lives of people. Did you know that a lot of evangelical Christians are going to get to be about 75 years old, and they'll have actually lived life, and nobody will really ever know them? It's true. Does anybody really know you? Young man, old man, middle-aged man, young woman? There's not too many old women here. Does anybody know you? Do you know anyone else? What about our friends? What about these people, this community, as we talk about what it means to be on a journey? Let me just give you a few things. God is in control. The people that are in front of your face right now are the people that God wants in front of your face right now. The people that are in front of your face right now are the very people that God wants in front of your face right now. Some of you don't have any people in front of your face right now. God may be telling you, get people in front of your face right now. I have a couple massive desires that seem uh, in my life, see if they help you at all. I have a couple massive desires in my life that seem to be constantly orbiting around my head. 
first one is my desire for perfection. I desperately want you to believe that I have it all together even though I don't. More problematic than that is that I desperately want to believe that you have it all together and you don't. Hey guys, let me make sure that we just say something that will probably need to be said like a million times. Nobody has it all together. But I have this desire for perfection that I want everybody, I have all these expectations for you and how you're supposed to react. That's one of the reasons why I don't like people to come over to my house. After all, they may see my boxers that aren't in the hamper. They may see my daughter look at me and say, Dad, you know, why'd you say that? And all of a sudden we're into it. And I'm going, oh my gosh, there's people that are supposed to think I'm godly. I'm losing it. Right? Oh, I don't wash my car. I don't do, oh, I don't do, what, man, he, he drinks too much wine. And sometimes I do. <laughs> but the last thing I want is for you to come over there and for you to kind of be looking on your little perch. At all my life, let's look through the rooms like my mom used to do. Forget that. Everybody's had enough of that. But that comes from our desire, this deep desire that we all have to be, that we want perfect. Guess who's perfect? Jesus is perfect. The only fulfilling that we have for perfection is Jesus. That's it. That's it. So what do we say to each other? We say this. Let's stop trying to live the illusion of perfection. And we say, I'm safe for you to be imperfect with. We say, in our perfection, let's fall in love together with a perfect God. Do you get that? In our imperfection, let's fall in love together with our perfect God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a perfect God because, boy, we're not. We struggle. Thank you, God, for sending us your son to make us a treasured possession. That we're so valuable to you, Lord, that you chose us before the foundation of the world to be set apart as a people, to call us into yourself, to make us a treasured possession. My prayer this morning is for many of my friends here who who feel desperately alone and hurting maybe in the valleys of their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a community to minister to them. That we would be a community that would even be safe enough for us to start listening differently to each other. To start really hearing from you what you have to say to us as we begin to navigate the tough wilderness of life, that we would be people that would be attuned to you. I pray for my friends today and pray for myself as as we continue to take just another step in the journey. We thank you in your name. Amen.